Welcome to Me, Myself, and Millie, a podcast about pop culture and hot goss through the lens of your nosy neighbor. I'm your host and nosiest of neighbors, Millie Brooks, and this is episode 44, 44. If you are just tuning in, season three of the show is all about infertility and different pathways to parenthood. And today, we are going to talk to Blair Nelson from the podcast Fab Fertility. Blair is coming on the show to talk about her unique infertility diagnosis called balanced translocation. In a nutshell, a balanced or chromosomal translocation is a condition in which part of a chromosome has broken off and reattached in another location. In other words, it means that sections of two chromosomes have switched places. And this diagnosis was given to her husband at birth. Blair is a fascinating warrior and such a superstar in the community. You will definitely want to stay tuned for her story. A quick and friendly reminder that this show is not for children. (laughs) I love children. I hope to have one, or maybe two someday. But this show contains adult themes that aren't appropriate for kids under 18. Thanks for understanding, guys. Okay, second reminder is to make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to Me, Myself, and Millie on Apple Podcasts. Your beautiful words are such a nice way to show your appreciation for the show, and your reviews help us reach a larger audience. So write me a love note, and I'll love you for it. Thanks, guys. Blair, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I am so excited to chat with you. I'm so happy to be here. I freaking love you. I, I feel like we just met, kind of. We just got connected on social, and you're, I, I feel know. like you're a spirit animal. I know. I feel the same about you, too. <laughs> um, well, let's start with a small intro for the listeners who aren't familiar with you. And tell us who you are, where you live, and what's your background. All right. Hey, everybody. I uh, hope you're having a great day, a great listen. My name is Blair Nelson. I live in Austin, Texas. I am... Um, a commercial real estate leasing agent by day and a infertility content creator, podcast host by night and free time. (laughs) Um, And I'm still on my fertility journey myself. I have been uh, married to my husband for almost three years for pretty much our entire marriage, we have been trying to conceive and for about 75% of that have been dealing with IVF. So it has been a wild past three years, exciting, good, bad, fun, all of it. Um, And you have chickens. Please, please (laughs) tell us about the chickens. I need more chicken chat in my life. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So 
I have always been an animal person. Like for the first several years of my life, I wanted to be a veterinarian. I have always begged my, I mean, growing up, I had tarantulas, I had snakes, I had cats, I had dogs, I had fish, hermit crabs, turtles, you name it. I always, I just love animals. They bring so much joy to me. I just, especially the the cute furry ones. Um, But, you know, I never really thought about chickens until my now husband, but when we were just, actually, when we were just friends, um, he lived with a guy who grew up on a farm who wanted to get chickens in their backyard in Dallas, Texas. So they had chickens. And then my husband and I started dating and I loved the chickens so much. I was obsessed with them. I'd go out and play with them. I just thought they were the funniest things. And then not only that, they give you eggs and I love eggs. So I just was like, oh my gosh, I have to, I have to have chickens at some point. So it was very timely that we got the chickens in um, the in the beginning of this pandemic because I've had time to devote to them and spoil them rotten. Um, but we were, the plan was to get them pandemic or no pandemic. It was something that I wanted to do, and we had already worked um, to find someone to build the coop and everything. So I got ten baby chicks in um, March of this year, and they have been a hoot. Like. I have ended up having two because when you get chicks, it's kind of a gamble is are they boys or girls? And in Austin, where I live, you can't have roosters in the city limits because of the crowing and the neighbors. And, you know, we have we live on a pretty big lot, but um, it's very much we have neighbors on either side that could hear a rooster crowing. So we had Patty become Patrick, who had to be returned, and Carly, who became Carl, who had to be returned. So I've replaced with a couple other chickens along the way. <laughs> we can see each other right now. I really can't sad. stop laughing. That is <laughs> so <laughs> I'm I am dying. Oh I am God. dying. But they're a hoot. I mean, long story short, they're a hobby. Um, they haven't started laying yet. They'll start laying next month, which will be exciting. I'll be pumping out like three to four dozen eggs a week. So giving away to family and friends, but my favorite ones are the ones that will lay maybe one egg a week, like a tiny egg. You'd have to have like six of them to make an omelet. And they're my silkies and they're my, they're my pride and joy. You know, they're my fluffy, fluffy chickens, puff, sneezy and rally. (laughs) I love it. I love it. I mean, it's like it's like having an infertility sister in the form of a chicken. <laughs> right. <laughs> you I know? Mean, and it's very on, on theme because of all the eggs. Totally. Totally. Well, give us a glimpse into your infertility journey and start with when you and your husband started trying to conceive. All right. So our story is pretty interesting because we went from zero to 60 really quickly in terms of like trying quote naturally doing just ovulation kits um, and having sex with a surge to going to IVF. So we started trying to have a kid immediately when we got married, six months into it, I was like, Oh my God, I'm so impatient. I'm so type a, like I need answers. So we went and did the typical you know, do your blood work, get some basic testing done, which by the way, I recommend anyone listening, even if you don't, even if you aren't trying to have a kid right now, as a female, especially like getting a baseline of where your reproductive health is, is so important. Um, anyway, so went and did that. And 
my husband was going to go in for diagnostic testing too. And he was like, you know, I have this file from my parents about like just health records and stuff. And I feel like there's something about chromosomes or something on it. And I was like, well, we should probably look at that. I mean, because until that point, why the hell would you even care? Right? Like you're a normal person with no health problems. So anyway, we bust that file out and we find this typewritten letter from 1987 or 86, I guess at the time, um, that basically said that my husband had a balanced translocation. They had somehow, I don't, it must've been from family history or something, but there was a reason that they, they had some reason to test my husband when he was in utero, which is really uncommon back then. What? I mean, yeah. my mouth just dropped to the floor. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. I don't know how they did it. They didn't get into it. It was like literally just the front of one eight and a half by 11, but said that he had a balanced translocation that he had inherited from his father. So I guess they had to test his dad as well. So we were like, huh, well, we have no idea what this means. We'll just take it into the doctor. And the doctor, so at that point we had, we were like, we should talk with that letter. We went and talked to a reproductive endocrinologist and she was like, yeah, um, IVF is, is going to be your way to have a, a kid. Otherwise it was going to take you six plus years naturally, maybe longer if even at all. So yeah, we started battling a pretty rough genetic diagnosis from the get go. Um, for those listening who may want to know what a balanced translocation is, it is. So when you are conceived, you have 26 sets of chromosomes a balanced translocation is when two sets of those chromosomes, in his case, set number one and set number 10, completely flip-flop. So his 10s are in his one spot, his ones in his 10 spot. It's fine because they flip-flopped perfectly. But what happens a lot of time when you try to con- a lot of times when you try to conceive is that you get a lot of unbalanced flip-flopping. So let's say the ones stay put and one of the tens goes over to the ones, then you have an extra chromosome on number one, the one spot and one missing from 10 causes all sorts of issues. Um, many people are as lucky as we were, they don't have that diagnosis. Um, and so what will happen with a lot of people who have it, but don't know it is they'll experience repeat miscarriages and they won't know why, um, because those, you know, they're able to conceive, but then those, you know, your body knows what it's doing and it's, it's sorting through, realizes that that's not a viable pregnancy and you miscarry. So a lot of people will go through three or four miscarriages, go in and get this, you know, karyotyping and genetic testing and find out that they do have a balanced translocation they never knew about. So that's what that is in a nutshell. So we've been, and it actually makes IVF complicated as well because your chances of making a genetically normal embryo are lower than just, you know, if you had a, another like unexplained diagnosis or an egg quality issue or whatever it may be, maybe a sperm motility or morphology issue, it makes it harder. You get, you know, statistically 25% of your embryos should be normal, um, which is, you know, when you start breaking down the numbers, it's, it, you can see how it can be very complicated to build a family, um, with that diagnosis. So we've been doing IVF since May of 2018. Here we are over two years later. Um, we have done five rounds of IVF. 
the first round is the only round other than this current one that we're in where we've made genetically normal embryos. So we had three rounds back to back where we made zero normal embryos uh, once they were tested, which was so frustrating. Um, I'm just like shaking my head. I can't like imagine. I can't imagine. Good for you, girl. Good Mm -hmm. for you. It's, it's been crazy. Um, but not to get into too much of the weeds, but with the first, um, the first cycle, we, we made four euploid embryos. We transferred them all at separate times. So we've done four frozen embryo transfers this far. Three of them just flat out didn't work. One of them did. I got pregnant October of 2018 and I miscarried pretty early, like at seven and a half weeks. The cause, we don't really know. I mean, I had a subchronic hematoma, which just means your placenta detaches from your uterine wall and there's bleeding. So that's pretty common, especially with IVF pregnancies. So, you know, it's, it was, that was obviously really, really frustrating and really sad and heartbreaking. And you just want to curse the world. That's the whole reason why I started Fab Fertility uh, was I felt like so alone, so isolated, so desperate for people to understand how I felt. There was no one in my immediate circle in my life that was having issues, had gone through anything like that in any recent, you know, recently. So got on social media as any good millennial does and found a lot of really good support. And it started out as a totally selfish endeavor. And then once I, you know, doing air quotes, recovered, like emotionally from that, I was like, holy shit, like these women and some men are freaking amazing. They pulled me out of the darkest days of my life. I want to do as much as I can to advocate for, for them, educate them, help them feel less alone. And that's when I started my Fab Fertility Instagram, when I, you know, turned it into a blog, a podcast, all that stuff was a result of how supported I felt when I was going through the hard part of my journey. So now we're in, uh, we made three normal embryos this past round, our fifth round. Um, and I have a transfer next month, which is crazy. Oh my gosh. That's so exciting. Yes. It and is. you had an ERA, right? Recently? Yesterday. Yesterday. Yep. So I was like, I'm not taking any chances. I want to do an ERA. I don't care. Like, you know, my doctor was ready to transfer this month. And I was like, no, I have been burned. (laughs) I want to check everything off the list. So he was like, okay, whatever you want to do. So we did the ERA yesterday. I'll probably get those results in a couple weeks. And then, yeah, transfer one one of the three. So we'll see. It's been a wild ride. Good for you for advocating for yourself about that. You know, before um, my transfer, before we got our results back from our PGS testing, um, my doctor was like, we might do an endometrial biopsy before we do a transfer, depending on what your embryo results are. And I just appreciate that that type of care, like, like let's, let's not just, you know, shoot in the dark here. Mm -hmm. Let's figure out something. If something is wrong, let's investigate it before we have heartbreak later on. Did you end up doing that? I forget. I didn't. I didn't. Um, but it's always in the back of, it's always an option according Mm -hmm. to my doctor. Right. 
How many embryos did you get? We got seven. Okay, seven cool. Seven embryos. So they, they feel okay about trying a couple times. She did. She did. So I was like, okay, I trust you, sister soul. Do not lead <laughs> me into the dark. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Um, but back to I balanced translocation. So I guess the the wording of it makes sense because it's like the chromosomes flip-flopped mm-hmm. perfectly. They're perfectly balanced, but they're not in the right spot. Am I right. getting this correctly? Yeah, that's exactly right. And so the it was inherited from a parent. Does this mean that it could potentially be passed down to your future children? Yes, it does. And what's interesting about the genetic testing is our report where most people's will say euploid, right? Ours says euploid or balanced. We They cannot discern if the normal embryo has the translocation or not yet. Like the science isn't there yet. So unfortunately, we we won't we don't know we won't know. Um, I'm sure science will get there. Hopefully, by the time our kids <laughs> have kids, um, I'm sure it'll come a long way. But yes, it's um, and you know, as an example, he has a sister, and I do. I'm 99 sure she does not have the translocation. Oh wow! Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it's super interesting. It's I've come across a few people that have this diagnosis, a couple of women actually that have a translocation and they kind of experienced what I explained in the beginning was they had were having repeat miscarriages and we're like what's going on and then figured it out. Um I it, but there's not it's a small handful of people. I mean, it's not super common. So mm. And so like the workup and the treatment for balanced translocation, like it doesn't there's no symptoms of it other than when you are trying to conceive. Right. Exactly. No, no symptoms. It's not, if you have a balanced translocation, you live a completely normal life. Um, yeah. And you wouldn't know about it unless it was in some medical records yep. or if you were trying to conceive. Right. Yeah. And then some, you can go months and months trying to conceive and not know it. Um, it's not until you get that genetic testing, that karyotyping that you would find out. And men and women can carry it. Yep. Wow. Wow. You're blowing my mind. This is so great. I love learning <laughs> so new things. So interesting. Yeah. Um, well, how has your infertility journey affected your marriage, whether that's negatively and or positively? I would say it's been both. I think anybody that said it was one way or the other and not both would be lying to you. Um We'll start with the negative. It's been a journey. It's it's so much better. I mean, we figured it out by now, right? I mean, kind of for the most part. It's like we we know how to conquer this together. We're much more of a unified team. There was a lot of um, in the beginning guilt um, on his side because he was like, "I'm the reason that we're doing this," um, which you know, he carried for a while and I had to remind him like, this is a joint effort. We're a team. This is us. This isn't you kind of thing. I would expect the same treatment if, 
if I was the one that had the diagnosis. So, um, that was a little bit of a hurdle. There was a lot of like shame and pride, you know, like all kind of things that I think had to be worked on internally, um, that caused like some shutdown and that, that projected into our relationship a little bit, but, um, and I mean, financially it's a total bitch. Um, as you know, it's, Things you that, just hemorrhage money. You're just—it's oh. just like bleeding <laughs> out of you. It's like monopoly money. Someone told me that one time. Um, they were giving me advice on some tests to take, and she was like, "Don't you just feel like it's monopoly money at this point?" And I was like, "Yes, yeah, seriously, that's what it feels like." So we've been—I mean, we haven't fought about that at all, but it's been really hard. We've had goals like we wanted to buy our house three years ago. We only got to buy it last year because we had just been spending so much money on fertility. Um, we want to redo our kitchen, but we can't because we're paying for IVF. Like there's been a lot of things that we want to accomplish as a couple that can get frustrating and we can kind of get down on. Like I'll be in a bad mood about something one day. I'm like, God, I'm so over this. Like, why can't we just be normal people and spend things our hard on money? On, you know, our kids are already costing us so much money. They better not ever ask to go to a private school because they're <laughs> going to get a hard no. Um, <laughs> I know. I thought about the same thing. I was like, any, I was like, we're going to have to really tighten our belts now about this whole education thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm like, no, they're, I mean, they're not even born and they're already pissing me off. So I don't even know. But, um, <laughs> but then the positive stuff is, we have dealt with more trauma, financial strain, just bullshit, hard stuff than most people deal with in a decade of marriage in three years, not even three years. Um, and the fact that we've grown closer, we've come to understand each other better, we communicate better, we respect each other more all because of we see how dedicated we are to this one thing and how much we're willing to sacrifice and do has just made us so much closer. So I think that would be the positive. And it's just kind of like, okay, we can get through anything if we can get through this kind of deal. I totally agree. I think the same thing has happened for me and my husband. We have like weathered so many storms throughout this that we feel like, okay, we're just like unbreakable at this point. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it, I think a lot of people, you know, it's the silver linings, positive poly, like mindset can be annoying a little bit, but you have to remember the good things that you are getting from infertility. I mean, I don't know about you, but had you not, you wouldn't have a podcast had you not gone through this. Same with me. Like there's, I have learned more about myself about my husband, about our relationship, about what my passions in life are through going through this. And had I not, had I not gone through it or been going through it, I wouldn't know that. So <clears throat> for anyone listening, that's like super down on their journey and just invite you to like, look at the things that has given you new friends, you know, a better understanding of your spouse, whatever it may be. I think also a new sense of empathy Oh, for totally. people, you know, like totally. the, oh my gosh, the compassion that I feel now for other people that are coming to me, telling me, I, 
I just found out I have to go through IVF. You know, like it just completely opens up your perspective. It totally does. And like, never will I ever, I mean, I I totally was guilty before all of this of asking people when they were going to have kids, 100%. And now I'm like, God, I was such an asshole. Like, why did I do that? I will never do that again. Um, But yes, just general empathy, like, I I totally agree. It's just made me a better person in so many ways. Um, So yeah, I'm like so, so grateful for that. And so, I mean, you started Fertility Rally, which is an infertility support network. How did this group begin? And what have you gained from starting this incredible community, community of women? Oh my gosh. So yes, Fertility Rally is, has been such, it's my business baby. You know, I can't have a real baby. So I had a business baby. Um, I co-founded Fertility Rally with a woman named Allison Prado. Um, she has a podcast as well called Infertile AF and her and I met because we both started our podcast around the same time. She started hers in March of last year and I started mine in like April or May she started her Instagram account <clears throat> tied to the podcast. I saw it. I was like wanting to just get my story out there, help other people. I was like on a big crusade to do that. Not that I'm not still, but I was really wanting to, I think more like cathartic for me, <laughs> honestly. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, like yeah. the reason I started talking about it on my podcast was like, I need to feel a little bit of relief here. This is mm-hmm. healing too. And it was but it was like twofold in nature. It was also helping people. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. So I reached out to her and I was like, I want to, I want to come on your show. I want to tell my story and I want to pick your brain about podcasting. Cause I'm thinking about doing the same thing. So we just clicked. We had the best time chatting. I think we talked for forever after we stopped recording and, um, we've just stayed in touch ever since we, it's interesting because she's on the other side of infertility. Not that you don't have PTSD and carry that for the rest of your life, but she has her family. She had secondary infertility. Um, so she worked really like a long time to have her son, um, who was her second child and I'm still in the thick of it. So we bring this really, we have this really cool dynamic. Um, I'm in the thick of it. She's kind of like this mentor, like big sister figure. Right. Um, so we, uh, kept in touch. And then this summer we were like, we need, we should like throw an event. We both were just talking via text and we were like, we want to throw like, not like a, not like a real businessy conference or an expo or a summit. We want to throw like a party for this community. We want it to be fun. We want it to be crazy. We want it to be irreverent. We want it, whatever, whatever, like that's what this space is missing. It's so heavy and so serious. We want it to be a little bit more upbeat and celebrate the strength of all of these, all of these women and men. So, um, and we're like, Oh, what could we call it? What could we call it? And then we landed on the word rally because it's double meaning like rally is like a pep rally, like a really fun, like get together, but also like rallying together, like a sense of community. So it started out as our vision was it for it to be an annual event where we were going to host it, you know, at a major city in the U S we had planned, we still have it planned in Brooklyn this year and we're going to do Austin next year. Pandemic hits. We're looking at pivoting to a virtual event at at this time. So like by the end of this month, we have to make a decision, which is a whole nother deal. Um, 
But then we were like, God, why are we limiting ourselves to one event a year? Why don't we do this 24 seven and let's launch a membership? So, and we both have a, she's actually comes from a, a uh, writing. She's been a writer for several publications. She has done some PR. She is a journalist by nature, really. Um, So she loves writing content. I love the social piece. I love connecting people. I love, you know, the community piece as does she, we both love podcasts and we're like, God, we know so many people. Let's bring it all under one roof. And we want to be the go-to place for people to come when they want to find a resource or find somebody that's going through this, a similar journey. Like Instagram's great, but let's like niche it down even more. Like eliminate searching the hashtags, like trying to find someone that, that gets it. So anyway, we launched June 1st. It's so fun. We love it. It's lots of growing pains, figuring out all the IT stuff as Millie knows. <laughs> oh my gosh. It, I need a class in it. You yeah. Know? There's oh so, because as soon as you learn about one software, mm-hmm. there's another one that comes out that's even better. Oh, it's crazy. So it's just been such a, it's been so fun, but it's been, it's been such a labor of love. Um, for sure. And so, yeah, we have almost a hundred, hundred members now, um, and just growing from there. So we do virtual events. We do a rally support group, a virtual support group every Wednesday night. We have right now another, a second weekly event covering all sorts of things. Like tonight we have a sperm donation discussion, um, with, the creator of Fertility Help Hub, who has three kiddos via sperm donation. So, um, and then on top of that, we have the, a community piece, think like almost like Facebook, but for fertility warriors with a bunch of different groups, super specific, geographical or by a diagnosis, all sorts of cool things. Lots of blog posts from guest, guest posts. Allie and I write a lot for it. We do bonus podcast episodes. We do these interviews with celebrities that we post on there. So it's been super, super fun. Um, and yeah, we're just excited to see where it will go. I love it. I love it. I was really excited to, um, become a member because it was, you know, I did try to do, I did try to do the Facebook forums at one point and they got so overwhelming a little bit, you know, like after you have the one person, ask the question, how, what type of birth control do you use after you find out you're pregnant? You're like, oh no, here we go. I can't manage these types of questions. You know, like you want to find your tribe. You got to find your community. And this was just so much more focused and like zoned in. I really appreciated that. Oh my gosh. Yes. And we're so happy that you're a part of it. And, you know, we, we totally realize that our main audience are are people going through it right now, like in the trenches, we're hoping that we can capture people that are just starting to try that maybe don't have a diagnosis yet to like hit them with some knowledge. (laughs) Totally. We're so in the dark. And then we do have a handful of members that are on the other side that, you know, we want to try to you know develop a mentorship piece as well where women who are on the other side can join as a member and almost mentor these women like us like you and me Millie going through it um all things to come 
the to-do list is like literally, you know, um, the Disney movie Aladdin where it's when Jafar has the scroll and he just scroll and it's just like, he rolls, yes. rolls. that is yes. literally my to-do list. <laughs> But I love it. You have ideas. You're getting inspired. You're seeing a need yeah. out there. There's a massive need for this. Yeah, it's exciting. And yeah. Um. So I'm going to get a little real here. So be prepared to really dish it out. What makes your blood boil about infertility? Anything at all? Misconceptions, the shots, internet trolls? Etc. Okay. Um, <laughs> what really makes my blood boil, <laughs> even more so than people not putting their shopping carts up, which <laughs> my my main pet peeve, but it has nothing to do with infertility, <laughs> is people thinking that people not understanding, like IVF isn't just a just do IVF. IVF is the result of a diagnosis that's serious and it's not something that's going to fix everybody. That's really annoying to me. Also, like people not understanding how serious infertility is and not understanding that it is a medical diagnosis. It is a disease. It is something that will stick with the women and men that go through it for the rest of their lives. And people just brushing it off, like, it'll happen. Oh, you know, no big deal. Or It's just, that's why I'm so passionate about bringing awareness to it and getting people talking about it because people don't understand how common it is, how traumatizing it is, how expensive it is. You know, I was working on Advocacy Day with Resolve and I was telling like one of these representatives in Texas, we were trying to pass, you know, pass a bill about you know, several bills, but we were just telling our stories. And I was like, I have spent X amount of money over the past two years on infertility. And they were just like speechless, had no idea. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, people, and, and then and not only that, like we're, if we're lucky enough to be able to afford it. There's people who literally have to put their growing their families on hold completely and maybe not ever even get it because it's so expensive. So anyway, and then also what makes my blood boil more than anything is not having the appropriate coverage in this country. It is ridiculous. I, I have I've just started getting involved with all of that. I think, I mean, some states are doing a good job of making it like in Texas, for example, there's always loopholes, right? Like it's, it's mandated in Texas, but if your employer is not based in Texas, they don't have to give it to you. So my employer is based in Pennsylvania, <laughs> so I don't have coverage. So it's just truly maddening. I'm sure there's a lot of other things. Um, I totally agree. I mean, it, it's so devastating. It's devastating, you know, mm-hmm. that this is such a... Um, it's such an issue. It's such an issue about accessibility, you know? Yeah. Um, anything you wish you knew before starting all of this? Uh, yes. I I think personal growth-wise, the thing that I've learned and grown the most in is that I have to surrender myself to the fact that I don't have complete control our entire lives. I think we are a generation. We, like, 20s, 30s, and early 40s, we were raised that 
if we try hard enough, we can get what we want immediately, pretty much like practice tennis. She'll make the tennis team be, you know, go to dance lessons. She'll make the dance team study hard. You'll get into college, like all these things, um, build your resume. You'll get the job you want. You know, (laughs) you can't just have all the sex in the world and get pregnant, unfortunately. So, and you can throw so much money at a problem at this problem and still come out empty handed. And I think, for the longest time, I was trying to control every little thing. I've tr- I've gone as crazy as like doing straight vegan. Like it's just, just stuff. Like just you know. And of course, we should all eat healthy. We should all take supplements. We should all do the 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 basics. But I've driv- driven myself crazy trying to control as much of this as possible, and it almost is to your detriment. So I wish that I would have not stressed about every single test result. I mean, it's like, what good is it going to do? Once the egg retrieval is done, you have done your part. (laughs) You just need to wait and get the results. Like I would like sleepless nights, tears, like Google, Googling, like if we got 30 eggs, how many blastocysts might I get? And it's just like, everyone is unique. You can't compare yourself to any of us. Another thing, like the comparison game is dangerous in this fertility journey. Everybody's body is different. Every journey is different. You could have two eggs retrieved and have two normal blastocysts and you could have 40 eggs retrieved and get zero. Like it is crazy town. Um, so yeah, I think just relinqu- relinquishing control. Once I did that, I've been able to just enjoy the journey a little bit more, um, find the good in it. Yeah. That's what I'd say. You're reminding me of something I always say to people that it's like fertility gambling, you know, Mm -hmm. like you're literally taking a bunch of money and going to Vegas and (laughs) hoping that you may, you know, that you come out with more than what you put in. Yeah. You know, and it's such a, oh my gosh, like what I think these treatments give us are opportunities, right? Mm -hmm. That's, but that's all they are. Mm -hmm. You know, it's another chance at the blackjack table. You know what I mean? Absolutely. That should be like a, you should write a book called fertility gambling or something. (laughs) It's a good, I know I have to trademark it right now, right here and now guys, trademark Millie Brooks. Um, If you stole it, we know where you got it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, is there anything I haven't asked you, Blair, that you feel is important to mention? I think, you know, I the questions I get asked most are, um, how can you, how do you, how do you keep going? How have you done five rounds of IVF? Like how, you know, and it's, it's an interesting question. I used to try, I used to say in the very beginning of this, I'm going to do three rounds and that's it. And then I'm going to be done. I don't think like a piece of advice is I don't think you can say to yourself and I don't think you can set these milestone dates. Um, it puts a lot of pressure. Like, I don't think you can say after, you know, after two transfers, I'm not, I'm not trying with the rest. I'm going to find a surrogate or whatever. Like, Doing that paints you in a corner. I think you should always have an open mind because you will feel differently. Like you will know when it's time to stop. 
I don't think you need to put a milestone on it is, is my point or like an end date, an expiration date on what you're trying or a specific timeline. Like don't right. feel like you got to follow this like rigid right. timeline. Yeah. Because, oh my gosh, think, think about all the timelines you've set for yourself in your life. It, have you met any of them? No. I was like, I'm going to have three kids by the time I'm blah, blah, blah. I'm going to get married by this. None of it worked out. So like, don't try to put a timeline on your infertility either. Um, and then I'll, I also get questions about, you know, why, what made you want to share? Why do you, why do you share? Um, is there any drawbacks to sharing? <laughs> and so my answer to that is if you feel compelled to share your story, you should. If you don't, don't feel like you you need to. Um, I do think it's very important for you to find somebody to tell, um, whether it be a friend, your mom, your dad, someone on the and on Instagram, write it in your journal, whatever. Getting it out, verbalizing it, or putting it into words is so important and so healing. And I think it really helps you work through all the emotions that come along with this journey. But for me, I'm just a super open extroverted person. I always have been. I love talking. I, that's just me. Um, the one drawback is people expect to know what the hell's going on with you. (laughs) So, you know, if I get test results and I don't tell people that day and they know I'm getting the test results, they think I fell off the face of the earth or got hit by a bus. So, oh my God, when you said you got hit by a bus, I just had that image of Regina from Mean Girls. (laughs) Right. But, you know, I mean, you create this, um, you're, you're expecting when you decide to like be super public about it on a social platform, you are expecting people to come along for the ride and they support you along the way. And if you don't, give that back to them. I I think that that's kind of messed up. So for me, I might take a day or two to like decompress, especially if it's bad news, gather my thoughts, mourn it a little bit, grieve it, whatever. But I always, I mean, so yeah, that's just me. I think everyone can do it their own way, but that's just my answer. That's, I get asked that on a daily basis. (laughs) Totally. Totally. Um, well, so to kind of wrap things up, how can people find you and connect with you? Oh my gosh, yes. Anybody listening, um, if you love Millie, I think you would love me. <laughs> I feel like we're that's a great, more. That's a great like, way to promote yourself. I love it. <laughs> um, no, but I have a podcast and an Instagram account and a website, all fab fertility. So like fabulous, F-A-B, fertility.com. You can find me on Instagram at fab fertility. Fab Fertility on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And then also um, at Fertility Rally. So Fertility Rally has its own Instagram page and also the website. So it is a membership platform, but we do have a free portion of the site where we have like a really uh, decent size like sampling of all the stuff we offer on our membership site. You can watch back a couple of our virtual events, read some blog posts, watch a couple videos. So yeah, that's where you can find me. Amazing. Thanks so much for coming on, Blair. Yes, of course. I adore you. And I just, you're, you're really good at this, by the way. Can I give you a compliment on the, can I give you a compliment on the air? You're a very, a very good, you're a very good host. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, you've been a great guest and we'll be in touch.
All right. Sounds good. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Me, Myself, and Millie. Follow us on Instagram at Me, Myself, Millie for more podcast updates. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe and share on social media. A special thanks to my husband, Rowan Brooks, for technical support and Cal Reichenbach, who did all the music you heard in this episode. You can check him out at calzonemusic.com. Thanks, cutie bombs, and see you next week. Bye.